0: This is Melanie Diesel, co-author of Prove It, Exactly How Modern Marketers Earn Trust, and you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas
1: Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named as one of the top marketing podcasts by... Forbes, and LinkedIn amongst others. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you Pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. This episode is sponsored by Marketing Architects, creators of the all inclusive TV advertising concept that's so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. I'll tell you more and how to get a free copy of the book in a few minutes. Now, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Melanie Diesel to talk about the book she has co authored with Phil M. Jones Prove It Exactly How Modern Marketers Earn Trust, published by Page Two. Melanie Diesel is a keynote speaker, award-winning content creator and lifelong storyteller on a mission to share the power of compelling, incredible content with others. She's the author of the best-selling marketing and business communications book The Content Fuel Framework: How to Generate Unlimited Story Ideas, featured on episode 279 of the Marketing Book Podcast and She's co-founder of The Convoy, a B2B marketplace that pools the buying power of independently owned businesses to help negotiate discounts on expenses. And I want to quote from her book on page seven, where she writes, I served as the first ever editor of branded content at the New York Times, where I coached our advertisers on how to create compelling content that our audience would value. As a consultant, I've helped Fortune 100 companies implement content strategies that focus more On the audience's needs and interests than on their lifetime value as a customer. And I've been lucky enough to stand on stages around the world delivering keynotes and workshops on this very topic to audiences filled with sales professionals, small business owners, and marketers from every industry, background, and walk of life. End quote. And interesting facts. She can communicate with American Sign Language, and she was a state-level javelin thrower. Melody, congratulations on prove it, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: You know, it's it's so good to be back. And I don't know if you know this, Doug. Fun fact: I actually use that exact same bio mentioning my episode of Marketing Book Podcast, no matter where I'm introduced.
1: <laughs> thank you, thank you. Yep. I. I had a feeling I might be the only one but uh yeah and you know one more book Melanie Diesel and you will be a member of the Marketing Book Podcast 3 Timers Club which you'll definitely mm. want to include on your uh Oh yeah on your, uh, your on your bio. Yeah, that first. yeah. <laughs> that's great that's great. Just curious though I've never asked you this how did you become a javelin thrower what what sent you down that path?
0: <laughs> you know I I wish I had an interesting
1: story but Oh, well, you yeah, were on the I track was. and field team or something, and oh, it just was
0: yeah. So I was on the track and field team, um, and we were a small and like you know pitifully underfunded team. We didn't have anywhere near enough people, the right supplies. We borrowed like another high school's you know track and field to to do our rehearsal, you know, our practice and things. And there wasn't really anybody who was going to be doing. You know, everybody wanted to be like the sexy sprinter. You know, like winning uh-huh. all the. Oh, I'm so fast, and so I thought, you know, what, I'll just I'll do the I'll do the throwing events, which, um, you know. The listeners can't see me, but I'm like five two. Uh, you oh, know. really? <laughs> because I was wondering I, if ne- you
1: were really tall.
0: No, I'm. I'm neither very tall nor very strong and bulky. So it was an interesting choice on my part. But um, you know, it wound up it wound up being an awesome uh, an awesome experience. And because there were so few of us doing the throwing events, I got a lot of direct attention and was really able to you know make, have a have a really good time.
1: All about the niche, as the marketers say, huh? That's right. <laughs> yeah. So. Just out of curiosity, was that in Litchfield County, Connecticut?
0: It was in New Haven
1: County. Ah, okay, okay. Because I was reading the book, and you talked about uh, Watertown, and I was just wondering about mm-hmm. that. So, Yeah,
0: Watertown's nearby.
1: So you were on episode 279 of the Marketing Book Podcast, as I mentioned, which is now a big part of your uh, <coughs> bio. I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. That was in May of 2020, right after mm-hmm. we all went into lockdown. I think I interviewed you in April. Yeah. and. So this should be episode 408, so for those playing the home game, that means that we should expect Melanie to come back in 129 episodes. So everybody, go ahead, mark your calendars now for April 25th, 2025. Melanie, <laughs> you know, we're, we're clamoring for more. I, I've just get, Let's put a pin in it and uh, plan for that.
0: I love a good deadline. Thank you for that.
1: You're welcome. And I only say that because you, you know, you were a journalist. And mm-hmm. uh, the, the most successful content marketers, or amongst the most successful content marketers, are former journalists or people who had journalism training. And we talked That's about right. that on the last time you were on the show. And I'll include a link to that interview at this uh, episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. Melanie Diesel, your last book was very unique. It was. Uh, it, it showed people how many different ways they could consider doing content. Not all of them make sense, but it was such a helpful exercise. We ended up using it for a client, and this book is equally unique because it is all about how to prove what you're claiming in marketing. I hadn't seen a book like this before. So you just keep coming out with these very unique and and original ideas, and. I live in this 1908 house here in Norfolk, Virginia, just four hours from you. You, uh, you all should mm-hmm. come visit. And so the, you know, there's some th- things that have to be done to it, and, and I've had some repairs done to it. Now I'm at the point where I've got to get it uh, painted. And so I was meeting with a painter, and he seemed like a really good guy, a U.S. Navy veteran and so forth. But when I was meeting with him, he said, okay, here's, here's the deal. We actually show up for the job. And I thought a couple things. One was, boy, the bar is really low (laughs) on claims. But also, I I just remember thinking, oh, man, I really like you, but that is the most empty claim. (laughs) Uh And and after reading your book, it's like I wanted to tell him (laughs) about this book because there's so many empty claims out there. And then I was reminded of a client from years ago when we did a lot of advertising. It was an HVAC you know, heating and cooling company, and they were really very successful. And one thing that they would do, and I don't know that we talked about this in television advertising, but they would talk about this in the sales process, and they would say, look, if, if, you have, if you're going to buy a system from us, we realize you're going to probably miss a day of work, and you have to be there while we're doing it. So if we, for some reason, have to change the day that we've mm-hmm. promised you, we will give you $500. Wow. Now that was backed up and the reason that owner did that is because it was a very well-run company and he he wanted to know like where things were breaking down. They also had a few others like that where they said we will if the uh, people are swearing, if they're using tobacco on your property, if they don't put on their mm. foot covers, you'll get another $500. And they rarely had wow. to do it just because they were so well run, but that was, you know, the sort of the, the yin and yang of these empty claims. And so the cover of the book is very, very nicely designed and has the big words, prove it, on it. And it mm-hmm. also has a, has a little post-it note on it that says, uh, with a subtitle, that says exactly underlined how modern marketers earn trust. And when Phil Jones is involved in any book by law, the word exactly has mm-hmm. to be on the cover. Am I right? So, you know, because his other books are like exactly how to sell and exactly what to say and exactly right. where to start. So if you look up the word exactly in the dictionary, you're very likely to see a picture of Phil M. Jones. And actually, I should mention that whenever I see or, or hear Phil Jones, I think of this. I got some magic in me and the reason why is because that is Phil Jones's walk on music, when he does uh, talks you know, and presentations. Perhaps you've shared a, a, a stage with him uh, presenting somewhere around the world. Yeah. Now, I think of other things with Phil Jones, but that, that always comes to, to mind. So w- the reason I wanted to talk about the cover of the book is that I don't know if you've realized the multiple uses that your book will have, <laughs> but I'm going to be carrying this with me In the future, it's not a big book, it doesn't weigh a lot, I'm going to be carrying it with me to client meetings and workshops so that when somebody makes an empty claim that they want to (laughs) communicate, I'm not going to say anything, I'm just going to pull this book out and show them the cover.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah, you know it's, it's, it's a prop. You, yeah, I love it. Well, you you know, if, keeping with like the light legal theme throughout the book, you could also slam it down and yell "objection"
1: if you're feeling particularly inspired. <laughs> yes, even uh, better. Even better. <laughs> oh, that's great. That's great. So prove it. Oh my goodness, it's because I was in advertising for many many years, and this brought to mind so many empty claims, and now. I guess I should say thank you or damn you. But now when I'm seeing, I'm even more sensitized Mm -hmm. to all the empty claims that you see out there. And what's worse, they don't need to be. (laughs) Exactly. Oh, gosh. So I want to read a a couple of quotes from the beginning uh, of the book. Mm -hmm. I want to start with uh, this excerpt from Phil Jones. I got some magic in me. Yeah, that's going to get old real quick, but hey, you know, that's the way it goes. By law, I have to play that. He writes in the beginning, the problem for most marketers today is not a lack of ideas or opportunities, but instead a lack of resources and focus. The latest shiny object can easily distract, and with the plethora of new platforms and the rise of FOMO, fear of missing out, connected to the relentless demands of being on trend with the latest and greatest, it can be all too easy to find yourself insanely chasing your tail, but not really accomplishing anything that truly moves the needle. One thing I feel certain of, and why this book matters today more than ever, is that the need for businesses to create content that attracts, converts, retains, and educates their audiences will be here for the foreseeable future. Amid the throngs of largely pointless, look at me assets being created, and the experts telling you to simply repurpose your content everywhere you can, this book is providing an alternative, smarter approach to pre-purpose your efforts so you can achieve a lot more return with a lot less effort. And then I want to go to page nine and read just a bit more. If you want consumers to lower their guard enough to trust you and hence to do business with you, then you need to provide enough evidence to set your claims apart from the sea of marketing and sales messages they're attempting to wade through. You might think that evidence seems like an overly formal word to use in a discussion about acquiring new customers. I mean, for those of us who work in sales, marketing, and customer experience, we like to think of what we do as relationship building, not lawyering. But think about the literal definition of evidence as applied in a court of law. It's every type of proof you use, in a trial to convince the judge and jury of the facts. We might not be in a court of law, but we are trying to convince an equally skeptical audience. If we want to prove to those prospects and customers that the claims we make about our products, services, and operations are true, then evidence is exactly what we need to provide, and we can't wait to gather this proof until someone asks for it. (laughs) Your potential customers are scrolling through your competitors' offerings at a breakneck speed. By the time you've prepared your case... They've already made their purchase somewhere else. That means you need to provide evidence to back up your business claims both proactively and frequently. And moving on to the next page, uh, you write, Just as a court can be convinced by evidence, so too can the minds of skeptical consumers. A claim presented without evidence falls flat, but a claim presented with sufficient relevant evidence will do exactly What you want it to give you the edge you need to win trust, convert prospects, and retain customers. In this book, I'm going to discuss the five different types of claims your business is likely making and show you how to provide evidence that proves these claims to be true. And finally, by the end of this book, you'll have the self awareness you need to create content that proves the truth of each business claim you make. If you can do that, you'll make it impossible for your audience to believe anything else. So, on page 13, you (laughs) write, we don't typically rush to do business with people or organizations we don't trust. Mm. So, Melanie Diesel, how, how does trust work? Let's remind everybody of what they need to know before we get into the rest of the book
0: you know this is one of those like really big existential questions that we could probably talk about for several hours but you know in the context of sales it really is sort of the one KPI the key performance indicator or metric that under you know underscores every other metric you could be measuring you know and i i mentioned it there in the book but It's hard to imagine an environment where you're going to give your personal data to someone you don't trust or, you know, hand over money to someone you don't trust or let someone you don't trust into your home, into your living room, into your ears, right? So it's... the truth is, you know, that's, that's exactly what we need to focus on is if, if I'm trying to ask my audience to do any of these things, you know, to buy, to subscribe, to open up their hearts and their wallets and whatever else. And like the very first thing I need to do is prove that I deserve to be there. And, And that's really what it's all about. You know, we could spend all day talking about the psychology of, of trust and, you know, whether, you know, the, the specific things you can do to earn it. But, At the end of the day, all we're going to talk about is, you know, what is it that you're telling them to believe, and what are you giving them to make them believe it?
1: Yes, and another book that would be a nice corollary to read after you read this one would be Marcus Sheridan's They Ask You Answer, and he always talks about how we're all really in the trust business. We We just happen to be creating content, or painting houses, or... Providing HVAC services, so trust is really very important. And just like with uh, Phil, who mentioned that you know, creating this content is is not going to go out of style uh, like Mm -hmm. the latest social media thing. We're still going to be in the trust business years from now.
0: One hundred percent.
1: There are five claim types, which I mentioned already, and when I quoted from the beginning. And conveniently, they all start with a C. They are. Let me just list them off. They are convenience. Comparability, commitment, connection, and finally competence. And we're going to talk about each one. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk about how to first identify the claims you're already making. In other words, what came to mind when I was reading this was some CEO might say, oh, "We don't, we don't claim that. We don't claim that." Mm-hmm. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's let's deal with facts. Where where does someone go to start actually uh, collecting all the claims that? That are being made, at least the ones that they can catch. You know, they can't maybe maybe a marketer can't know everything that's being said in a sales uh, conversation. But where can people start to go to do a bit of a, a claim audit? Yeah, the, the first thing you can do is
0: just look at any of the the written communication that you have, right? And that could include whether it's scripts or guides or some other documentation that informs those sales calls. But you already have a wealth of that kind of stuff that's like. Easily available to anyone, and that's everything from your website copy, your social media, you know, content that you're posting. Uh, if you have a podcast or you have videos, it's going to be you know laced in there in the captions and inside, uh, you know, inside the the voiceover. Uh, it's on your signage in your store, on your packaging, like anywhere there's written content that references you. Uh, you know, that's a good place that you can you can see some of the claims in action. And you know, it's it's really easy to think claim has to be this big, bold thing. Um, In the book, I use a lot of examples of company taglines just for familiarity, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, Geico says 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance, right? We're familiar with that. And that's Mm -hmm. a big, bold claim. It's their tagline. But you're making small claims as well. It's not just your big, obvious ones, right? It's anytime you are setting an expectation, making a promise, making a guarantee of some kind, you're telling your audience what they're going to get, you are making a claim.
1: Ratings and reviews are also a place that you mentioned to to collect what your claims are, but you don't necessarily write those. How how do those help?
0: So the thing to look for when you're, you know, when if you're coming up, you know, you're coming up dry or you're just having trouble finding them, oftentimes the reason that reviews or ra- ratings or, you know, even like replies and comments on social media, for example, um, can be so valuable is because it tells you what other people are claiming about you, right? So someone's saying, this was the best service I've ever had, or, you know, this changed my life. You know, you're seeing those claims, right? Which can often be a hint to what your claims could or should be. But you're also seeing the claims that you may not be backing up, right? The claims that maybe yes. you shouldn't be making. Uh-huh. If you see people who are disappointed or they say outright, you know, I was told that I would receive X, Y, Z. And instead, you know, I got ABC or I was told they would fix this, but no one fixed it. Um, That's a, I mean, you know, your, your audience, you know, whether it's, it's negative or positive, they're giving you hints about the kind of expectations that they do or did have. And that's a good indication that there's some claims or expectations involved.
1: Yeah. Great advice. So on page 27, I had to chuckle once again. You're right. You may discover that some of your claims are not actually as true as you thought. <laughs> mm-hmm. As it relates to provable claims, let's. can you explain the difference between objective claims and subjective claims?
0: Yeah. So um, the best example for this, I think, is to really think about um, is it possible to even prove a claim? So if I say to you, like, Doug, I am the tallest marketer there is. Like, there's, a, there's a. It may not be realistic, but like, we could just measure all the marketers, and then we would know if I was the tallest. Uh, spoiler alert: I'm not.
1: But the you're the tallest marketer who's a javelin thrower. Uh,
0: that's probably true, but we we're going to have to measure it. I'm uh, I'm going to make sure we could back that up. Okay. Um, <laughs> but subjective claims are ones where there really isn't a method or like a process you could follow to prove it or not. So an example would be if I say like. You know this restaurant in town has the tastiest uh, smoothies. you know there's not like an official tasty scale that we can consult on something like that, you know and like we don't know is tasty better than delicious or scrumptious? like what's the the official rating system? you know so something like that may be difficult. Um, for us to to claim objectively. Um, so those may prove a little bit harder to, mm-hmm. to prove. And that's where you want to want to rely on the words of the people who are saying those things to say, okay, well, maybe I can't prove it to you, but here's a bunch of people who believe it. You know?
1: Yes. It brings to mind the movie Elf, where the uh, elf sees the cafe, uh, a coffee shop, and it says world's best cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. And he goes in there and he congratulates them. It was It was very funny. Anyway. I I mean, that's,
0: but that's the exact type of claims we're talking about. You're probably seeing, seeing that all over now. Right. First of all, sorry, I ruined it for you. Um, But yes, you, you now will see those claims and you'll see, you know, on the truck or on the signage, like, the county's most trusted whatever they are and you're like but according to who like who did the hvac trust report you know like where did that stat come from or how do i know that you're the longest running or you know the greenest the best like best at what compared to what you start to see all those empty claims out there
1: tv advertising is a powerful channel for business growth and it's a counterintuitive solution for businesses frustrated by the rising costs of digital marketing but the traditional process for launching TV campaigns is expensive, time-consuming, and complex. That's why marketing architects flipped the traditional process on its head. With all-inclusive TV advertising, they invest their own money to produce, analyze, and optimize your TV campaign. All you pay for is media, setting you up for rapid growth at a significant cost advantage. This approach to TV is so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. It's called All-Inclusive TV, How Booming Brands Are Reimagining TV Advertising. It explores how a variety of brands are using TV to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. For a free copy of the book, visit this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com or visit marketingarchitects.com slash book and tell them you heard about it on the Marketing Book Podcast. If I had more of a criminal mind after reading this book, I would get spray paint and I would start spraying it on billboards that are making empty claims and on you know vehicles that are making these claims, but probably not a good idea and I don't recommend that to you kids out there listening. So in the book, you have a, Framework for building a body of evidence for all the different five types of of claims. And you think Melanie Diesel, you think you know framework, right? So
0: <laughs> I do love a good system.
1: Yes, you do, and and it's very well done. It's very clear, and you repeat it, and it, it just makes so much sense. And that's why your book was only, gosh, 120 pages. You got it all in there very cleanly, and I and I thank you for that. I think it's much more difficult to write a short book than a long one. That's the truth. The three things are C, D, E, corroboration, demonstration, and education. And this keeps coming up throughout the book. Uh, Corroboration, demonstration, and education. Can you just walk us through those three building blocks and explain what you mean by them? Because they're going to come up again in this discussion.
0: Well, first of all, I need to update my bio that says, you know, when you think Melanie Tiesel, you think framework, because uh, I love that. Um, and it's <laughs> That tingling right. means it's working. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, so that, truthfully, is is where this framework came from. When I started to think about, well, if, if we're going to be asking marketers to prove these things, or sales professionals, or business owners, if we're asking them to prove it, we need to provide, you know, a, <laughs> a method for them to do that. So I started looking at, you know, the ways that that, Things are proved in court. And uh, like I said, you know, law theme, as silly as it may be, you know, those three things the corroboration, demonstration, and education are a key part of how you would prove a case in court. Now, I'm not a lawyer by any stretch. So please, for the love of God, do not use this book as guidance for your own legal defense.
1: Right. And that goes Um, for you, listeners who are lawyers. And there are lawyers I know who listen to this show. So just back off, guys.
0: Give, give me give me just a little bit of grace okay yes. we'll, we'll say i use it as inspiration um <laughs> but to think about what are the things we can do to help people understand the truth of a claim and that's where these building blocks came from so corroboration is any time that we're using other people's opinions to back it up so you know in court that would be you know you bring in an expert uh an expert who can talk about you know this is how bloods sp- for something, hopefully there's no blood spatter in your marketing, um, but there's industry experts who could speak to what it is that you're you're claiming. Uh, you know, and we have witnesses, which are the people who've experienced or seen or whatever this this claim themselves. So, you know, again in court that might be someone who who witnessed a crime, but for us it's going to be to you proving that claim, Who's witnessed the truth of that claim, the clients, the customers, the you know vendors, your partners, who have seen that proof, uh, you know, they've the experienced that proof themselves and can sort of testify to that. Um, so th- that's where the corroboration comes in. It's like the don't take my word for it. could yes. take their word for it. Mm-hmm. So next is demonstration. And that's where we're not saying you don't have to take anybody's word for it. Like you could see it yourself. Um, so, you know, the first part of that would be stories. So we're really like crafting intentional stories that are giving background. So you think of, uh, you know, you're talking about the the family nature of your company and, you know, how you've always operated like a family in your entire history. Well, I want to see the story about 40 years ago when, you know, you hired one of your employees' children and now that person is the manager and they're hiring their child, you know, like showing mm-hmm. legacy in some way. So really crafting a detailed story that, that paints the picture. Um, and the other is documentation. Like, let them see the report. You know, we talked about the the, ta- the official tasty scale, so we don't have that. But if you do have the report that shows, you know, satisfaction rates or success rates or, you know, whatever else that you're trying to claim, show that, show that evidence, show that documentation.
1: Yes, and I should add that you write here, before working with businesses, I was a journalist. And one of the first things that journalists learn is show, don't tell.
0: Mm-hmm. That's right. Well... And it sounds funny. I know journalists have kind of a little bit of a bad rap, but, you know, what the reality is most journalists, if they're operating ethically and they're not working in sort of an entertainment or opinion talk show kind of space, the, the rule is we're not supposed to tell the readers what to think. We're supposed to find other people who are experts who can weigh in on something. And, you know, who can, who can give the context, you know, it's not my job to tell you who to vote for. It's to tell my job to tell you what their stances are on these particular topics, right? It's my job to tell you the people who are impacted by what your vote means for them, right? It's not my job to tell you whether you should go see this particular play or not. It's my job to tell you uh, what happened at the play and what other people thought of it. You know, so it's uh, it, there's a lot of a lot of carryover there in the way that at least I see marketing. Yes, uh, and I would say
1: that-, that if you are a marketer and you're telling people what to think, that's going to be equally ruinous. Let them decide.
0: Exactly. Well, you could tell them all you want. You know, if you're not going to back it up, that's going to be a lot of disappointment. And that doesn't really work in your favor. <laughs>
1: right. Yeah. Now, the last one was education. Talk about that.
0: That's right. So education is is one of those sort of wildcard categories because for industries where either maybe it's, it's heavily regulated, it's highly complicated, or especially if the person who's ultimately using your product or service is not the person you are selling to. Um, so they're, you know, they may not be as informed on the technical side of things. You got, you're going to need to fill that knowledge gap because their ability to understand claims is is minimized. They don't have all the facts they need to be able to understand whether it's true or not, or whether it's important. You know, you mentioned that uh, the painter uh, that came to your house. Now, if that person walked in and said. Now listen, you know the reason you want to work with us is cuz we only use a a 4.0 scale semi-gloss and you're like, "Well, I don't know what the hell that means. Like is that good? <laughs> is that bad? Is that cheap? Is it luxury?" Like you got to give me more than that. Yes. And so education is that reminder that you know, the claims we make, we may understand them, but our audience probably needs more information in a lot of cases to know what that claim means, whether that claim is relevant to them, and how they can make that conclusion about whether it's true or not.
1: Yes. And let me just add to that where you write, the eighth edition of Deloitte's annual consumer review recommended that businesses develop content to inform and educate consumers and help them move through the decision process, stating that, Arming consumers with the right information helps them move independently through the shopping journey, creates trust, and increases their loyalty. And then you write, when brands create content that educates their audience, it increases both trust and brand affinity. Beyond the relational benefits, consumers are also 131% more likely to buy from a brand after consuming educational content. So you also talk about how your instinct may be to choose one of these types of evidence, mm-hmm. corroboration, yeah. demonstration, or education, and focus on using just the one type to build credibility in the eyes of your consumers. But the truth is that one type of evidence alone likely won't do it. Why do you say that? Well, you
0: know, I think there's... there's- a couple things. I mean, consumers have different priorities when they're shopping, I'll use as sort of a general term. Mm -hmm. When they're evaluating their options, like, some people are more prone to, you know, I want to see it myself. Like I'm very extremely skeptical and I need to like make my own conclusion. Um, some people like me are researchers and they're going to want to see all that educational information to feel like, okay, I really understand enough to make an informed choice now. And some people are going to need sort of the wisdom of the crowd to to have other people saying, look, okay, well, this person is, is similar to me and they seem to have had really good success with the solution. So that probably means it's good enough for me. So having a good mix, I think is really important because it speaks to different consumer priorities when they're kind of going through that sales life cycle.
1: Right. You don't have to use all of them, but you should try to get as many as you can. That makes sense that you can prove.
0: Right. And I think, you know, we go into this in the book a little bit, but you'll also find the more familiar you get with this and the more you start to recognize these claims, you'll also see that certain types of of evidence, certain types of content are better for certain types of claims. So if you yes. are claiming results or transformation, again, some of those things that are, are harder to measure, you know, maybe you're a life coach or a consultant, right? And it's more difficult to point, you know, outside of an NDA to, to point to your results, then you're going to need those those testimonials, those, you know, expert uh, quotes, the customer success stories to to help demonstrate that because you're not going to be able to do that uh, on your own with just some numbers, you know? Whereas if you're, um, you know, if you're in a very technical space, then you're going to want to show the documentation. Like this, these are the numbers. This is how much faster we are. This is how much that saves you every uh, single month. Here's the difference that makes in your bottom line. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to have to get really detailed. So you'll start to see that that different types of evidence better serve different types of claims when you start to think about, okay, well, how can I show this?
1: Yes. And let's not forget that in B2B buying situations, the size of the buying team is only getting bigger and bigger. More and more people oh, yeah. want different kinds of information.
0: A hundred percent. And like we were saying, you know, the person that the one person you may be speaking to at any given moment, they're not the only ones weighing in and there's going to be someone else who's asking for other types of details. You know, I think we can all think, or they're not going to
1: ask, but you better have it. That's true
0: too. Right. You better have it too. (laughs) Um, but you know, anybody who's done anything by committee, you know, you're in the room and somebody goes, well, you know, who have they worked with before? Like, you know, are they working with our competitors? Are they Mm -hmm. working with, you know, these top tier brands? And that's going to be a big decision for that, you know, a big factor for that person. While the other one across the table, you know, your CFO is like, all right, well talk to me about the, the ROI and what the results are compared to how much it costs. You know, Mm -hmm. they're going to be looking more for the documentation and the numbers. So even if the person you are speaking to may not be asking for all those details, there's a good chance those details will be helpful in the background when you're not in the room to answer.
1: I don't know, Melanie Diesel. I think you should just say, come on, trust us. You know, (laughs) what could go wrong? So let's walk through the five Cs, uh, the five types of claims, and we'll start with uh, convenience. Convenience, okay. Yeah, you're right. Claiming to be convenient means sharing how easy it is to work with you. Now, just so you listeners know, Melanie Diesel has the patience of Job. (laughs) Now, we all have airline nightmare stories, but Melanie... Tell us yours. Oh my God!
0: You know, uh, um, sorry um, to pick um, at that
1: wound, but you know,
0: I know. I was just going to say it's it's really hard to relive, but I'll I'll do it for you. Um, <laughs>
1: Got my it. attention. I could not believe. I seriously, I couldn't believe how patient you were or determined. I don't know.
0: Oh well, you're you're being a little generous. You know, I didn't talk about all the things I was saying out loud while I was going to cross it, but um, I share the story of how. I needed to make a flight change. And so, you know, I went onto the website to try to, you know, change my flight and it says, okay, well, you got to try this, uh, this chat system. You know, we do our changes not on the website. You have to use the chat system. So I'm going through the chat system, which is supposed to be amazing and wonderful and helpful, you know, AI. And it just, it it doesn't work at all how it's supposed to, you know, it asks me, which of the following things do you want to do? A, B, C, or D? And I, Click A, and it says I don't understand your question, and then it asks me the same question again. You know, and I got like varying degrees of success through this question and answer system, and it just kept booting me back to the beginning for you know. I I get that it was probably new technology and they're learning, but from a consumer side, like I was very frustrated. Yeah, but the clock and, uh, was also
1: ticking. I don't know how soon this <laughs> flight was going to be.
0: It was soon. Like it was. Yeah. It was like the next day. Like it was. It was like very an urgent request, right? So after I go through this chat bot a number of times, it finally gives up on me or itself. I don't know. And says (laughs) like, you know, the, the best way for you to get service is to go, Um, It's shift was over. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was like the best, you know, we sorry, we can't help you call this phone number. And I call the phone number and the wait time was like three plus hours, you know? So it just it it was like this cyclical thing where the the hold music on the phone was telling me to use the chatbot or the website and the website's telling me to use the chatbot, but the chatbot's telling me to call. And I wound up just giving up after like four hours of this ordeal um, where I'm like, well, I can't be stranded. I'm just going to have to buy another ticket and figure the rest of this out later. Right. Um, and it was just one of those things where, you know, if an airline didn't claim to be so customer centric and easy to work with, that kind of thing might not bother you as much. You know, our, our bar for <laughs> for airline experiences <laughs> is fairly low as it yeah. is. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when that's coming on the heels of, you know, easy to work with, manage it from your phone, you know, those kinds of convenience claims, you're like, well, you're really falling short on that one, buddy.
1: Yeah, you're right. Claiming to be convenient is making a promise to your customers that their interactions with you will be frictionless. You are telling your audience that the experience of working with you or using your products will be, at the very least, painless and ideally pleasant. So what are some of the more effective ways to prove the convenience? I mean, I'm I'm skeptical. Most everyone is. (laughs)
0: Well, yeah, and, and convenience, you know, there's a lot of data that shows that convenience is extremely important when it comes to buying decisions, particularly online. We all want to know that we can, you know, check out without having to to wait in a line or call someone, that we can return without an issue. Um, you know, refunds, things like that are, are really important to the and buying And people
1: experience. are willing to pay more for convenience.
0: Oh, yeah, 100%, right? Time uh, time is a, a resource that i don't get more of. So the more you could do to save it, the better, right? Um. But yeah, so so convenience claims it's not always just about saving time. It could be that it's e- you know it's an easy to use experience. You know this is where the the coming back to Geico they like so easy a caveman can do it right. Mm-hmm. Like we're promising you, which I was offended
1: gonna... by. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. Uh,
0: I, I managed to dodge that one. I guess I was on the Neanderthal Neanderthal <laughs> side, so I didn't I didn't feel targeted. I guess.
1: <laughs> right.
0: But yeah, you you could be claiming to be easy or going the Visa route of like compatibility. It's everywhere you want to be, right? No matter where you go, you're going to be able to use your visa. Mm-hmm. So these kinds of claims are are really about, you know, showing up with, with proof, especially because again, the disappointment factor when you're prioritizing convenience is pretty high. So you want to be looking for opportunities um, to use truthfully any of the three types of evidence, you know, content evidence. But I think uh, when it comes to convenience, the being able to like show the show the proof not just from other people, but like to actually show the documentation or tell the stories is is really important. So the side by side numbers, for example, of you know, here's how many places you know, here's how many tools we integrate with versus how many tools our competitor integrates with. Right? Mm-hmm. That's a convenience and compatibility claim, and you're able to show it side by side. Um, being able to bring in the the stories of, you know, here's uh, how much time you could save, and here's someone that, you know, like me in that instance, right? Maybe I don't know. I I wasn't probably going anywhere super for that trip. It was probably just a work trip. But if I were that airline and I was claiming convenience, then one thing I could do is tell the stories of, and Southwest does this really well of how they're taking someone somewhere important and how the difference that those minutes make, right? Like they're to hold the plane for an extra minute or, you know, hop you on a golf cart and get you to your gate on time. That's the difference between, you know, seeing your kids recital and not or making it to a wedding or not, right? Mm -hmm. able to tell those stories that demonstrate the value uh, of that that particular claim and and being able to back it up.
1: Yes. Well, let's jump to comparability. And you write that claiming to be comparable... Means declaring that you measure up well to the competition. Melanie Diesel, what do you get when you buy a three dollar Barbie at a flea market? And what the heck does that have to do with comparability?
0: <laughs> so this this story from the book is me talking about, um, you know, we we all know for ourselves the differences between us and our competitors, or at least I hope we do. Um, and a lot of our claims are in that area of saying, you know, we're better than them or than this. We're we're comparing ourselves we're showing ourselves as a superior alternative um but the reality is to our audience a lot of these things are not as obvious and i tell the story about how as a kid i went to the flea market and you know i saw what i now understand were like knockoff off brand barbies um and i was amazed because they were only three dollars and i'm like what a regular barbie's ten dollars of course i want this cheaper one well th- and they, you didn't they, listen I, to mom i didn't listen to my mom which you know that's that's the real lesson of this book listen to your mom
1: <laughs> yes um,
0: that's the one key takeaway (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) jumping ahead uh, yes
0: yeah yeah the um you know, the dang thing's head popped off, like before we even left the parking lot. So it was just another example of for me as a consumer, and hopefully your consumers are are not all, you know, five year olds. Um, but you know, the, the comparability wasn't obvious to me. To me, they were in a pink box, and it was a doll with blonde hair. And what's the difference? I'll just take this one, right? So just stressing the importance of the fact that, you know, your audience doesn't know all the details of how you compare or don't to your competitors. They don't and, you know, maybe what's at stake or the difference between choosing your solution and not. And so the onus is really on us to show that and help them understand so that when they're in that position to have to choose between you or a competitor or you or a generic, they understand the value that they really see. And educational content is particularly important for comparability um, claims. You, w- you want to make sure that they, they truly understand not only the difference, but why that difference is important.
1: Yes, you're right. You may think that having the cheapest price means you're guaranteed to win in a comparison with your competition. But that's not the only factor consumers consider. And I would point that at a lot of salespeople who are listening, (laughs) who think Mm -hmm. it's all about competing on price and who are constantly badgering their management for a lower price. You also write that comparability is most easily proven by corroboration, like experts, things like that. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, if your if your audience isn't in a position, hopefully isn't in a position to have had some sort of negative experience of not choosing your product yet, um, you can demonstrate that you surely have customers case studies success stories testimonials that demonstrate i tried this other thing and it didn't work and here's what was at stake but when i tried this solution it was amazing um i'm reminded of uh, douglas i don't know are you on tiktok are you a tiktok guy
1: no but i mean okay. you're asking the wrong guy i'm not on facebook or instagram I'll, either
0: all right so i'll, I'll make this roughly ref- <laughs> a few of your listeners will appreciate it yeah no, i, I uh, think it's,
1: it's very popular
0: there's this adorable kid on TikTok who went viral talking about his love of corn, why it's his favorite vegetable. Um, oh, I, I, I know who that
1: is. Yeah, I've heard of that. The corn
0: kid. Okay. Yeah, and I love he says, it. When I tried it with butter, everything changed. That's what he said, right? So you need to find your corn kid. Who can say, you know, when I tried this solution, everything changed and they show their experience with. an inferior or a different product or having no solution and then compare that to the wonderful experience they've had with you. It's a really great way to help them understand the difference and see it so that they can avoid negative outcomes themselves.
1: Oh, terrific. If I can find a a video of that, I'll include it on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. So let's jump to approving commitment. Very Mm -hmm. interesting. So you write that claiming to be committed means providing reassurance that you are worthy of trust and that you operate ethically. So, mm-hmm. your daughter uh, was diagnosed with a nut allergy last year. And so, every time you place her epinephrine injector in your bag, commitment becomes really important to you when you go grocery shopping. Explain why. Uh-huh.
0: A hundred percent. So I'm sure there's folks here who can, you know, listening, who can relate. If you have an allergy or, you know, a loved one who does food allergies are really scary because they're completely unregulated. No brand is required. They do it sort of out of goodwill, the goodness of their hearts. We trust, um, if they've had any contact, you know, may contain nuts or may contain traces of soy or, you know, produced in a factory that also has dairy or whatever else, right. Whatever you're looking for. Um, but it is absolutely every time I step into that grocery store an exercise of trust that these brands care about my, my daughter's safety as much as I do and are truthfully disclosing whether there's any nuts you know contained in the products or processed with them or or anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, which is is scary as a consumer, right? Like I'm putting my trust into I don't know packaging designer at Triscuits or whatever, you know. <laughs> like yeah, it's a it's a it's a big a big burden of trust, and it it may seem like a silly little thing, right? But it's important to me it's important to my family um and there's many instances where your consumers similarly will have a deep Commitment, a deep care for a particular thing, and you are telling them you're committed to it. It means a lot, right? And so for me, that happens to be disclosure of you know whether there's any traces of nuts in something. But for your consumers, it could be that they care deeply about sustainability or gender equality or uh, you know they're they're fighting for diversity and equity and inclusion. Uh, They want to know where you stand on political issues, right? There's Mm -hmm. there's going to be something that they care about your commitment to, and it is really easy in this day and age to sort of, you know, turn your logo into a rainbow for Pride Month or, you know, post a a commemorative quote on Martin Luther King Day or whatever else, um, and assume that that's enough for people to believe you're committed to a cause. And so if you have a cause, you have a important to you, you want to stand up and actually prove it. Um, And you want to show that evidence so that they know you care about this as deeply as I do, because that kind of betrayal in terms of values, that's that's tied to identity, and that's really difficult to come back from.
1: Yes, and we're living in something of a glass house now where <laughs> you just can't hide mm-hmm. these things. And right. Melanie Diesel, I know you didn't intend this, but this chapter actually got my blood boiling, and I'm going to quote yeah? from this section. No, it really did. I, I mean that in all sincerity. You write, your actions, priorities, and donation record need to show that you truly support a cause you are linking yourself to, even outside of the times when it's popular to do so. If your commitment to, say, the cause of LGBTQ plus rights begins and ends with a rainbow logo on your site during Pride Month— Your customers and prospects may see that logo as a hollow attempt to drive up sales. Skepticism of these types of claims and behaviors among consumers is justified. In January 2021, the European Commission released a report showing that in 42% of cases in which companies were making some sort of green claim, those claims were exaggerated, false, or deceptive. On top of that, more than 50% of companies didn't provide sufficient information for consumers to judge the claims accuracy. And that's quoting from the study. And nearly Mm -hmm. 60% didn't provide easily accessible evidence to support its claims. And I just have to step very briefly on my own soapbox. As a military veteran, you have no idea how furious I get when I find out that an organization that is – Claiming to be supportive of troops or the military or veterans. And I find out that there's something going on there where, like, I'll give you an example. Um, I'll name names here. Wounded Warrior Project, a few years back, it was found out that they were uh, wasting a lot of their money on uh, a lot of perks for the people working there. And most of the money wasn't going to helping these wounded warriors. And I, I have a friend who was wounded in Afghanistan and he was a beneficiary of some of these things, but it just really bothers me. So I can imagine that anyone who's passionate about a certain area must think there's a special place in hell for some of these companies that are supporting some cause, but really, they're not really doing anything about it, or they're causing harm. I'll now step down. (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, you can, you could stay up there. I think it's important. You know, I think that you just proved something that, that I think is really important for, for those of us on the business side to realize that, you know, to us, this may be a monthly holiday. This may be, you know, a, a, an opportunity to market your brand, but for our consumers, this is their identity. Like Doug, you don't just kind of like veterans, like that's part of who you are, right? That's part of, it's how you identify yourself. It's, it's core to your being. And so, your customers are going to have that same feeling if they d- discover that, you know, you're you're claiming to support a cause, but you're donating to the opposite of that cause, you know, behind the scenes. And it's, you know, the, Ron Tite has a wonderful book called uh, Think Dude, which talks about, you know.
1: Oh, yeah, that was on the show. I'll include a link to that interview.
0: There you go. So so another great book about this exact topic. Like, don't just say that you're doing that. You actually need to back up these causes if you're saying it. Um, but I think, you know, showing that proof and making it clear. There are enough brands out there that are doing this the unethical way. They are exploiting these causes. They are slapping a green leaf on the logo and letting you believe that you're doing something eco-friendly. So it is really important that we actually come forward and you know show how we feel about these things and, and show the proof that we're actually believing it and not just saying it.
1: Yes. And let me just add to that, Melanie Diesel. On page 119, you write, A study from the American Association of Advertising Agencies revealed that only 4% of consumers Believe Advertisers and Marketers Practice Integrity. All the more reason for this book. But I should say, uh, Melanie, uh, 96% don't trust us, but we're still more trusted than uh, Congress. So, you know, there's that. Yeah.
0: Well, if there's anybody out there who claims they believe one thing and then does the opposite, it might be Congress.
1: Yes. Well, I just I hang on to that because there's really nothing else to, to hang on to. So let's jump to Connection. Uh, I really like this one. And you write, uh, claiming to be connected means proclaiming that you prioritize close relationships. Melanie Diesel, what can we learn about proving connection from Katherine Reed at Shakers Family Ford Lincoln in Watertown, Connecticut?
0: Oh, man, I love Kathy. So I, I talk about Kathy in the book, but she's uh you know she's been our go-to car person for almost 20 years in my family and we've and got she's still I
1: think, there i just i'm going to include a link to her oh yeah her uh, her dealership
0: definitely do yeah so um kathy is just someone who goes above and beyond for her um it almost feels wrong to call us customers or clients like she forms these deep relationships and and takes things to a next level so As an example, there was one time, um, I mean, I gave many in the book, but there was one time in particular where uh, my mom was getting a new car and her old car, you know, that we had purchased from Kathy many years prior was to me when I was first uh, becoming a driver. And despite the fact that she was making no money off of me, that this car we bought from them was no longer under warranty it was old whatever she got the key from my mom and while we were buying the new car she had the team take the car in the back and fully detail it you know new car smell like cleaned everything it was it was like a new car coming rolling out even though it was you know 8 years old and that kind of thing is like she cared about my happiness as the, you know, as a kid who probably wasn't going to buy another car from her for a long time. You know, she wanted to make sure that I felt special during that transaction as well. Mm-hmm. And that kind of level of of connection, it I mean, we we can point to probably 20 plus cars that, you know, are <laughs> word of mouth yes. that we've said, you got to go to Kathy in a book, right? So hopefully, I mean, I just want everything amazing for Kathy. So everybody go buy Buy your car from Kathy, but yes. you know it's it's a big difference, right? And the the distinction here is when we talk about commitment, it's typically one direction, right? It's I'm committed to this thing over here that's like separate from me. But when we're talking about uh, commitment or connection, that is two way, right? Like it's really a relationship. It's not about just something I'm doing for the other side. It's something that I'm doing and comes back. It's this this connection that's much deeper than just a donation or or backing up a cause. It's it's building a relationship.
1: Yes. And in reading this chapter, I <laughs> had to laugh to myself. I do that often, Melanie Diesel, where I'll hear, like, I might be listening to a radio uh, or a football game I was listening to from my school, and I was driving somewhere, and it was on like a local radio station. And I heard a, yet another ad where they say, We treat our customers like family. And I don't know about you, and I may be the only one, but there's a lot of people in my family I don't want to be around. And I mean, does that mean that you know they they show up at Thanksgiving and drink too much and start arguing and get real passive aggressive? Yeah, Yeah, that's your
0: life choices.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I want. That's how I want to be treated. (laughs) But I am very skeptical when I hear that, and. Mm -hmm. The one quote in here, the one uh, bit of research, it says, 64% of U.S. consumers feel companies have lost touch with the human element of customer experience, and 71% of Americans would rather interact with a human than a chatbot or some other automated process. What? I, so, you know, focus group of one, I'm pretty skeptical when folks are out there. What are some of the most effective ways to demonstrate, other than, you know, telling stories about – um like Catherine Reed that proves yeah. that you are in fact connected to your customers or your prospective customers.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, you could be connected to your community as well. Like Kathy is particularly connected to, to her, her customers and kind of keeps those relationships going, but you may also be, you know, connected to your community. You pay, you know, you sponsor the local little league team, you know, you're very involved, those kinds of things um, count as connection as well. And I think this is another instance where, um, the stories. So we're coming back to the the demonstration, you mm-hmm, know, showing mm-hmm. the stories, telling the story, like I have about Kathy, right? Those kinds of stories go a long way um, for showing that it's not just talk, right? I'm not just saying your family. Here's an example, a detailed example of how I treated someone like family, or how someone feels like family. If you're going for uh, corroboration and just sharing their their perspective, um, but I think. Education is not typically what we what we need in this particular area because it is more emotional. So we do see that stories and corroboration um, mm-hmm. really go a long way here because I want to hear the examples from other people to understand how I'm going to have experience that commitment myself.
1: And back to my prop, I want to hold it up and say, prove it. Stop saying you're going to yeah. <laughs> treat us like family for those that want to be treated uh, like family. So, yeah. Last one, let's talk about proving competence. And that's claiming to be competent means stating that you are capable of delivering on what's promised. I want want to quote from page 107. I love it. I love it. And I get the same kind of thing. Probably every day. A lot of listeners probably do too. You write, Shortly after I published the content fuel framework, I got a phone call out of the blue from a publicist. He loved my book, he said, and wanted to help me with publicity. He promised that his company could get my book in front of millions of readers and generate hundreds of thousands of sales. You hired him on the spot, right?
0: No. (laughs) (laughs) No.
1: Oh, gosh. Oh, so, man, I mean, it, it, this was almost like the airline thing where you're just describing this, and it's like, yeah, um, you were very sensitive to red flags, and boy, were they flying. Oh, oh.
0: man. Yeah. So, there was, they could not tell me anything about how they were going to do this, right? Like, millions of people, where, what kind of people, like, did he 11th. mention the marketing
1: book podcast or no? Yeah.
0: Unfortunately, he didn't. Well, that might have helped. He went wrong first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but he didn't, I mean, he couldn't, couldn't give me an example of any authors they had worked with, couldn't share results from any campaigns. I mean, it was purely just a baseless claim of we're going to get you in front of millions. Um, and the more I dug into it, like the more, I, I mean, I, I tried to give them the benefit of the doubt. I, I may have even mentioned this in the book. Like, I know that for one, if you were to look at my content, you may not think that I, you know, I'm serving I'm serving my clients. And so my own content doesn't always reflect my best work. I'm giving that to my clients, right? So You I did thought, you well, did say
1: that. You said, yeah, you the know. shoemakers' kids go barefoot. Yeah.
0: Right. So, you know, I thought, well, maybe they're they're so working so hard for these their own website doesn't have the proof, right? But no, they they couldn't provide it. Um and it just you know, uh, I wish I could tell you that that was the end of our interaction, but I regret to inform you that they've continued to call me um even about this upcoming book, So I wonder how excited <sighs> they'll be to see that they're in it.
1: Well, you didn't name them, I don't believe
0: I didn't I did not i um, i don't I try not to because I think you know we all make mistakes, and uh hopefully we can learn from them, and I'd love to see them do some wonderful work and bring out that proof. We'll see um, but yeah, <laughs> every the, the every compliment-
1: paragraph I read, I wanted to say. You're joking, right?
0: No. I, I wish that I was. I wish. But, you oh. know, it happened. I had to share it. <laughs> oh.
1: So uh, this was a real shocker for me, um, Melanie. And that's where you write uh, – I mean, it's a real eye-opener. I, I just – this was – I'd never I never knew this. If you say you are excellent at what you do, you have to be able to back that up. That – I was disappointed when I found that out. But <laughs> – but you, you say um, – comp now, explain this, though. This is very interesting. Why was this the last C? Because it seems like this is where most business claims tr- try to play.
0: Sure. But, you know, I, I guess I thought this is really table stakes to me. Um, my hope and, – and, you know, I mentioned this at the beginning of the book about finding out that some of your claims may not be as true as you think – I would like to believe that all of us are only claiming that we can create the results that we actually can. That we're not like, oh, that's an outright lie, right? That's about that's not like not backing something up. If you're saying I will help you achieve XYZ and you cannot do that, I mean that's just like false advertising. <laughs> then that's into a whole different uh, legal case we're talking about there. Um, so I wanted to leave that for last because I, I also think that this is probably the one that would be the most hurtful or disappointing to find out that you couldn't back up, right? And so- people to see the opportunity they have to to back up some of these other claims. If you get to this point in the book and you discover that your competence claims are are not what they should be, hopefully you're armed with the tools to feel like, okay, I can adjust this. I can still, you know, we can come out of this okay. We can adjust.
1: Yes. And it seems like if you don't have all the competence claims you need right away, you might actually could start with simply removing the unprovable ones.
0: Yes, 100 <laughs> percent easiest easiest thing to do.
1: Yeah, so there's a great quote on um, page 114. There was I mean, there's various ways of doing it, but this one I you know warmed the cockles of uh, of this content marketer's heart. It's on proving competence with education. You're right. Educational content is particularly good for proving competence because the content's existence is contingent upon you having the knowledge (laughs) and experience to be able to create it in the first place. Simply by offering educational content, you're proving to your audience that you know enough to provide value to them. One way to provide educational content that proves competence is to inform your audience. For example, to focus on busting myths or dispelling common misconceptions about your product type or industry, this gives you the opportunity to provide your audience with accurate information to aid in decision making. And I know I mentioned Marcus earlier, but I, could, I have a story that I like to tell. And I don't think this is in his book, but he, he was a he had a pool company, and years ago, he made a very simple video that they put on YouTube about what you need to do to winterize your pool, and you know, it was basically, I don't know, maybe there were 10 or 15 steps and you have to do them in a certain order and you know what to look for. And it was maybe a 10 minute video. And a lot of people were thinking, why are you telling people how to winterize their own pools? <laughs> and they completely missed the point because after they posted that video on YouTube, the phone rang off the hook from customers saying, Hey, I watched your video. Can you come do that at our pool? <laughs>
0: I, I love these kinds of stories because there's a lot of fear around that. Like if we share our knowledge that, you know, we're somehow going to lose out on clients or, you know, we've sort of, you know, given away the secret recipe. But the fact of the matter is, even if you give away the recipe, a lot of people don't have the equipment to make it and they don't have the time to make it. Yes. And they flat out just don't want to. Like, I can't tell you how many times I- I consider myself a fairly handy person, like I'm good with the DIY stuff, but there have been a number of times where I've been looking at a process and gotten halfway through the how-to video and been like, nope, nope, this one's not going to do it, I I can't (laughs) do this one, like we got to call in the pros for this one, and who's the pro, but the person who's before your very eyes telling you how to do
1: it. Yes, yes, uh, yes, I'm the same way, I'm the same way. Well, Melanie, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be?
0: And, I mean, to we, call yeah, your I mom? About, yeah, I was going to say, we already talked about listen to your mom. But yes. aside from that, I mean, this might sound dark, so bear with me here. Um, but your audience doesn't trust you. And I think we take that for granted. We assume that just because we tell them something, they'll believe it. And this is actually a massive opportunity. If you can remember that your audience doesn't trust you yet, you have the ability, the opportunity to earn that trust.
1: Amen. And not that many people are doing it Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny. You know, uh, people don't trust you, and as a matter of fact, years ago, 25 years ago, when we moved here to Virginia from New York City, where I would worked in advertising, and I was still working in advertising, went to church, and after, I can't remember how long we have been going there, and I got to be friendly with this one fellow there, and he finally uh, said to me, I can't believe someone that works in advertising actually goes to church. <laughs> And I, I thought, oh my goodness, I am really out of touch with the perceptions of people in our industry, and and he was right. I mean, I will be burning in hell with all my advertising friends, but that's <laughs> that's a separate topic. So, Melanie, oh, man. what is one thing a listener could do today to put in action w- one of the ideas we've talked about or that's in your book?
0: Yeah, w- one thing I would say you can do right now is go take a look at your reviews and and do that audit we talked about. You know, yes. if nothing else, if you can't do the full audit, right, you don't have time to dive into everything you've ever created. I get you, um, but definitely go check out like ratings, reviews, um, any sort of uh, response from your audience, and see what you can learn about the claims you're making and how well you're backing them up, or maybe how well you need to be backing them up.
1: Mm-hmm. Great advice, and that is exactly the answer I would have given. And you could also look at your competitors. Uh, mm-hmm. claims to get some, uh, so the, your competitors' reviews to get some some ideas. Well, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading?
0: You know, my girl Anne Hanley is coming oh. out with a second edition of Everybody Writes. And if you had the first edition, you need to go get the second one. If you didn't have the first edition, now is your chance to write that travesty and get yourself the second version because we all write every day in everything we do and you might as well do it well.
1: Amen. She was on episode five of the Marketing Book Podcast, and she's going to be coming uh, in just a couple of weeks to be on the show, and one of the things that's so magical about that book, at least in my experience, is that once I read it, whenever I was writing, it's like she was there. Yes. You are like kind of, not like sitting by me or, you know, kind of cheering me on, what a What a great book. And one of the things I remember from it that was so impactful is she talked about how everybody at some point was told maybe by a middle school English teacher that they just couldn't write or something. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They said, get rid of that. That is not – stop listening to those voices.
0: Yeah. Stop listening to those voices. And I think the wonderful gift that your listeners have is that they will get to hear Anne, or maybe they heard her in the first episode, the episode five, talk about her book. And then you have the wonderful gift of when you're reading the book and when you're then writing in the future, you will hear Anne. Her voice comes through so strong in in person, obviously, and then in her book as well. Um, And I think we all need a little Anne on our shoulder, in our head, telling us that we can do it.
1: We do. And one other thing that we should do is uh, subscribe to her newsletter. I get it every other Sunday and it's just, oh, it's it's great. It's great. It's, it's so very bad. popular. Yeah.
0: Total anarchy.
1: Yes. I'll include a link to her website where you can, folks can subscribe to it. And at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, including all the books that have been mentioned and uh, your site, your LinkedIn profile, your Twitter account. And also, a link to peoplewhoproveit.com. How about that?
0: That's right. That's the fun website where you can learn everything about Prove It, see all the new things we're coming out with. Um, we're really trying to prove it with this book. So we are listening to audience response about what kind of resources, support, tools you guys need to, to be able to prove it. So please share that feedback and, and keep checking out People Who Prove It because there'll be more resources to come.
1: Yes. And now a word to you, dear listener. I want to ask you a big favor please reach out in some way to Melanie and or Phil Jones. Sorry, you know, I paid for the sound effect. No, I'm kidding. Um, I want to ask you, but please reach out to Melanie and congratulate her on this very unique and enormously helpful book. Thank her for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast a second time. Can you believe she came back? And With any luck, we'll have her back on in the year 2025 in the spring or maybe earlier. I don't know. Send her a message on LinkedIn or Twitter or go to one of the websites that I'll have linked there. Guests on the show have told me that they really enjoy hearing from marketing book podcast listeners. And not just because marketing book podcast listeners are so Ridiculously good looking. And if you are listening on your smartphone and you've subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on this episode's website link, final quote, page 119, lucky for you and your customers You're now armed with all the information you need to identify the business claims you are making and to build a body of evidence that supports each and every one. You now have the power to put your integrity on display and differentiate yourself in a way that can't be denied. You, my friend, are a person who proves it. The book is Prove It, Exactly How Modern Marketers Earn Trust. The authors are Melanie Diesel and Phil M. Jones. Melanie, thank you very much for returning to the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Thank you for having me back, and I'll see you next time.
1: And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Marketing Architects, creators of the all-inclusive TV advertising concept that's so revolutionary they wrote a book about it. For a free copy of the book, All-Inclusive TV, How Booming Brands Are Reimagining TV Advertising, visit this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com or visit marketingarchitects.com slash book and tell them you heard about it on the Marketing Book Podcast. And if you're one of the legions of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast stuff. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world, and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the late, great Jim Rohn, who said, formal education will make you a living, self-education will make you a fortune.